Thank you so much for your ministry and song this morning. Uh, it is a blessing for me to be able to be here with you, to have my family here again, and to be with your pastor and his family, and really to fellowship uh, with you as a sister ministry here uh, in the state of Ohio. Um, if you come back this evening, uh, I do plan to take the evening time to, to share with you a report uh, of answers to your prayers. Uh, I know that you have, I didn't even know that you were praying for our ministry for all of these years um, until talking with your pastor, but uh, your prayers that you have offered up before the Lord, he has heard them and is hearing them. And I just want to give you uh, a bit of a testimony uh, so you can have confidence that your prayers have been effective. And uh, so we'll plan to do that in the time this evening. If you were not here in the morning Bible study hour and did not get a handout, if you could maybe indicate that, uh, we do have some that are still available. If you did not get one, uh, please raise your hand and they'll be sure to get one to you. It's not that you'll be lost without it, but I think it'll, it'll help you uh, stay with us to maximize the time that we have this morning. We focused in the first hour on this opportunity that we have as God's children to learn from many different individuals about prayer. Uh, Old Testament individuals, New Testament individuals, men, women. We can observe and listen to people throughout church history and gain insights from them about this very important discipline. But one of the things that the scriptures give to us as God's children is the privilege of being able to watch Jesus in prayer. And this morning, we just went through some 30 instances between the Old and the New Testaments where we have uh, recorded for us in scripture that Jesus prayed and tried to extract practical observations and lessons that could coach us along in our desire to grow in prayer. And in the time that we have this morning, we just want to move to a second component of that and to focus our attention on the content of Jesus' prayers. And again, to just be instructed by that is as we look at Jesus' prayers, is there anything there that could help us to have in our minds as we pray, as we shape our prayers, as we expand on our prayers for each other, for family members, for the lost? Is there anything in the content of Jesus' prayers that, that can help us and give us a sense that we are not just praying scripturally, but praying really in the way that Jesus himself prayed and heighten our confidence that we know how to pray in his name and actually to pray together with him as he continues to have a ministry of prayer before the father. There are many potential benefits that can come through a study like this. And of course, all we're doing in this brief time together is just trying to see the landscape of what we have in scripture. 
On the third page of the handout, you have noted the uh, content of the prayers that Jesus prayed. And if you look at this, you notice there aren't 30 different listings there. And just a quick observation would be that many of the times that Jesus prayed, we don't actually know the content of what he prayed. We're just told that he prayed. But in some of the instances, we do. We have the content. And so I've combined that here. And the one exception is if you look at uh, down below, you'll see it, the reference in red, John 17. Um, I didn't put that whole chapter, but there are 26 verses uh, in John 17 that record what Jesus prayed on that occasion, uh, the night before his crucifixion. And what I'd like to do, I think this would be a helpful exercise for us, is just to start at the top and work our way down. And this morning, we're going to, with the exception of John 17, we're just going to read the content of all of Jesus' prayers. And the translation I'm using here is the ESV. If you wanna follow along in, in a Bible with a different translation, the references are recorded there and you certainly would be welcome to do that. But the first of, of these is probably the prayer that may be the most familiar to us. Okay, this is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And it's the first prayer that Jesus prayed that actually gives us content. And of course, he's not just praying this content, but he's modeling this content for the disciples who on this occasion were told, asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. In Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The second occurrence, we did review this briefly this morning, but this prayer was prayed on the occasion when Jesus' ministry had been so rebuffed by the cities up there around the Sea of Galilee, the cities of Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin. Jesus had performed so many miracles, and for example, the Sermon on the Mount would have occurred up here in this region. And yet this region rejected Jesus and did not receive him as the Messiah. And after pronouncing woes on those cities for their rejection of Christ, Christ then turns to his father in prayer. And he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. And this one, it's a little bit different because he's looking up to heaven while speaking 
to a man whom he is healing. And I've included it because he's looking to heaven at this moment and, and then says to this man, he prays, looks to heaven with a deep sigh, okay, perhaps no words, but a deep sigh, but then turns and says to the man, to his eyes, to his ears, to be opened. And in Luke chapter 10, we have a reference that is very similar to the one up above in Matthew 11. This is a prayer that Jesus repeats. This is after the 70 have returned from their mission that he has sent them out to evangelize and to heal and to cast out demons. At that time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. I've included next a reference from Isaiah 49. We have no specific citation of this in the New Testament, but it's a messianic passage. And it's, it's given to us that this prayer would have been in the heart of the Messiah. Isaiah 49, verse 4, he says, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. And then he encourages himself in prayer with this, yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward with my God. In John 11, this is when Lazarus has died and Jesus delayed in his coming purposefully for the purpose of resurrecting Lazarus. And at that moment, listen to what he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And then John 12, the very next chapter, Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. This is a transitional moment in Jesus' ministry as he begins really to press toward Jerusalem. In Luke 22, uh, we don't actually have all the details of the prayer recorded, but we, we have Jesus telling Peter and the other apostles that he had prayed for them. And I have prayed for you, specifically to Peter, that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In John 17, just a word here. In that lengthy prayer, Jesus is going to include some requests that are related to himself. Okay, that's the yellow highlighting throughout this document. And then some requests are, are related to his immediate company of disciples. And then if you follow through that prayer, he, he begins to pray for disciples who are yet to come. Okay, a circle that would ultimately include people like us. And then we come to the Passion Week of Christ, and, and we have some of the most sober scenes 
really, in all of the New Testament. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have the details recorded for us together. Jesus is in the garden, and he's brought some of his disciples with him. But he goes a little beyond them. And think of prayer like this. He falls on his face, and he prays. And he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And then he left the disciples after speaking to them for a moment and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then as he was being roughly handled and falsely accused, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And this is one of those prayers that the verb tenses suggest that Jesus was repeating this prayer. And then while he's on the cross, interaction between he and his father that have to do with all of the world. And in that moment, trustingly, he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Later on the cross, he would cry a prayer from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had told the disciples in this prayer that's mentioned in John 14, I've listed it after the crucifixion, because he told them on the night before the crucifixion that I'm going to ask the Father. And what I'm going to ask of him is that he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And what may be helpful is to picture Christ dead, buried, resurrected, ascended now to heaven, and then at that time asking the Father to send the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, the disciples know this prayer that Jesus had promised to pray was heard. They saw the answer to prayer in Acts chapter 2. And then another Old Testament prayer that were, were given a suggestion of the content, Psalm 2. There the Father is speaking to the Messiah, and he says, ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Okay, I've assembled all of these together, and you can I, I think though there would be other passages that you can see referenced in the footnotes that we could potentially include in this. We, when we put all of these together, we, we can begin to work with the content of Jesus' prayers. And a natural question would be when we look at what Jesus prayed, not just how or when he prayed, but when we look at what he prayed, are there takeaways? for his children that could coach us in our own praying. 
And I think one of the very evident takeaways, if you look back through that third document, that third page, you'll see highlighted in red, a different occurrences where in prayer, Jesus actually called his father, called out to his father and called him father. There are times that he actually expands on that. Like when he says, Lord of heaven and earth. But more often than not in those passages, he ends up using the title Father. And I think that would be a good place for us to start. Okay, it may be a word that we would jump past rather hurriedly so we could get to more of the content. But I think it would be helpful for us to just settle down on that word for a moment. When someone uses the word Father, I don't know what all may come to your mind, but take a moment and think about it for a minute. Okay, perhaps begin to answer with words what what actually is being communicated when someone uses the term father. I'm going to suggest that there is relationship, obviously, of a very personal nature that is being conveyed. I think we would all understand that. But inside of that relationship, what is it that is being conveyed? Here would be some possibilities. Something like dependence. There is a relationship there. But it's it's a relationship of a special kind. And the one who's calling out to someone else's father is acknowledging a relationship when there's some measure of dependence on the one who is the father that is being conveyed. I think another possibility is that the one who's using the term father would be thinking in terms of submission. There's arrangement here. Father, and you are my father. I'm, I'm arranging myself. I'm submitting myself voluntarily to this relationship that we have and your father, and I am in some way less than that, okay? Now, Jesus is not less God by submitting himself to his father, but when we would use that term, I think that's what we're conveying. And another possibility is that the person is thinking of a family, okay? That there's position here, that there's father, and, and I would have position as something other than father. And when Jesus uses this language, I think it means or is very helpful for us to actually ponder all that Jesus is saying when he stops and addresses God as his father. That's a loaded word. It is full of meaning. It says so much about who God is and so much about who Christ understood himself to be. And yet still being divine himself, Jesus in prayer finds it helpful and perhaps necessary in prayer to actually call to his father by this title. Now, when Jesus 
does this, you know, when you caught, when you use the title, okay, think of all the memories. If I just say your father, think of all the memories that come attached to that. Some of them may be very pleasant memories. And in some instances, they're, they're not so pleasant and they're painful. But for Jesus, in referring to his father, the memories would be, would be full and beautiful and perfect, and they would be shared by he and his father. I had a recent experience that I'll share with you that I just hope will open a little window into this for you. While helping some of our men finish a project on our building, I'm not super mechanically inclined. So entrusting something into my hands is a little bit risky. It might end up in worse condition when I'm finished than it was when I began. And I was assigned to work on a set of double doors with panic bars. And uh, as I did, I was I was supposed to remove those so that we could put tenting on the glass and then put the panic bars back on. And so a project like this for me, all those small, intricate, interlocking, moving parts, um, you know, that, that's sort of like having to scale the Eiffel Tower, you know, and not using the steps, but, but going up to the top another way. And so, you know, here I am and I'm, trying to be good and take parts off and put them in nicely arranged order. And I, I kid you not, right in the middle of this project that I don't want to be doing, but I need to be doing to help, I get a text. And it's a text from a friend of mine who just was reaching out in a moment saying, hey, I could use some prayer. So I was glad nice break from this project. And so I exchanged a text or two with him and took a moment to pray for him. And then it hit me. This guy makes a living installing doors. I mean, really, he could install this door blindfolded. And I, that, so I texted him back, have a minute to talk. And he did. So we talked a little bit more about his prayer request. And then I said, hey, tell you what I'm doing. He put me on, what do you call it? Vit yeah. So he could see it. He walks me through the whole thing, step by step, teaches me why I need to do this this way. And I actually start to understand what I'm doing. And the panic bars get reinstalled and the door works. It was amazing. Okay, now, now who did that? And that wasn't me, and it wasn't this friend. That was just a God thing. That was a father looking out for one of his children in, in a time when his child wasn't even looking for the help. And it came in and startled him, but it was so appropriate to the moment. Hey, God is that kind of father. He doesn't always demonstrate his fatherly care in precisely those kinds of ways. But, but God knew exactly what I was doing in that moment. And his watchful, caring eye was on display. 
So in the moments after that, in the days after that, when I use heavenly father, that, that term is infused with yet another memory of my father's tender care. And when we go to God in prayer and we address him as father, it would do us well to, to let, let that title have all the appropriate baggage of his superintending, kind, loving, providential care for us that he has displayed in our lives to even bring us to the position we find ourselves in that moment, which may well be a position of need. It is our kind, loving father who has brought us even there. There's a biography of Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China. And uh, that biography is, is full of blessing. I, I would have no sufficient way to recommend. It's two volumes, but the first volume focuses on the growth of faith in the soul of this missionary. And God would eventually use him in a much larger sphere in China. But as you work through that biography, one of the things that becomes evident is that, that Taylor really had a deep appreciation for God as his father. It bleeds through his letters, it bleeds through his counsel, it bleeds through his prayers. He's always thinking of God in terms of father. And just to give you one example of this, He says, at a significant time of ministry need, he says, we knew that our father loves to please his children. Okay, do you think of God in that way? Okay, God actually loves to delight his children. He says, what father does not? And we asked him in a moment of need, lovingly to please us as well as to encourage timid ones at home by leading some to give generously toward this particular need. And I read that, I think, you know, that, that helps me adjust my view of God in a helpful way. Another of the examples, I have about half a dozen here, but we really don't have time, but he starts with this. He says, our father is a very experienced one. Hey, you know, God has been a father for a long time, and he's, he's pretty good at it. He's got a lot of experience, and there's nothing that is going to face me in my life that is going to surprise him. He's good and experienced at being a father. He can't forget you if you are his child. If you'll look, I think this might be helpful. Take your little book that you got. Pastor Huffsettler gave me a copy of this last night, and I couldn't wait to jump into it. So I, I took a sneak peek to uh, page 16. All right, if you'll turn there. Hey, this is a quote from Jim Packer, J.I. Packer. And he says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child 
and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Now, Reeves goes on to say, Packer is right. For us to address God as Father and mean it is to understand the gospel well. It means you understand that the Son, who has been eternally in the bosom of the Father, has come to bring us that we might be with him there and that we who have rejected him might be brought back and brought back not merely as creatures, but as children to enjoy the abounding love the Son has always known. To know you are a beloved child of God protects you from thinking of prayer as a ladder to God or an exercise by which you work your way to him or into his favor. Prayer doesn't make you more accepted. Instead, prayer is growing in the appreciation of what you have been given. That's very good. Just that would be worth the price of this little book. Okay. I'd really encourage you to meditate on that. A second observation that we could make if we're just looking through the content of Jesus' prayers is that he does make requests. Okay, which we tend to be good at when we pray. We tend to fill our prayers with requests. And just very briefly, one of the observations that we could make is that often Jesus' prayers uh, focus on needs or circumstances in his own life where, where the Father is needed. And then when you look at the request, sometimes what Jesus lifts up before his father is a need of someone else. You know, we tend to do that in prayer, but we can do that with a consciousness that that's, that's exactly what Jesus did in the content of his prayers. Okay, we, we do it. There's a good Bible precedent okay, for praying that way. We can make requests appropriate to the need of the hour. Okay, that are either having to do with ourselves and our circumstance or with what God may be doing in the life of another individual. A third observation that we could make is that in Jesus praying, okay, I, I hope this one will make sense, but Jesus is displaying a responsiveness to the Father in his prayers. Okay, in other words, as he's praying, He's conscious that the Father is working, and he's working in circumstances in which Christ himself is involved, and, and what Jesus is doing is responding to the love and activity of his Father as he goes to him in prayer. He's, he's participating together with his Father responsively as he goes to him in prayer. And this is evident in prayers of praise. Okay, he's responding to his father by thanking him or praising him for what he's doing. Other prayers uh, that show, like, for example, in the Lord's Prayer, when he says to pray that 
thy kingdom come and your will be done. There, there is this seeking of what God is doing and this desire to be appropriately responsive to it. Another thing that we can see, and I, I again, I, I'd be very open to someone expanding on this far further, but I think Jesus' prayers, at a minimum, capture at least four themes, okay? Closely connected to what we just said, but if you were to take the Lord's Prayer, for example, okay, what, what I would suggest is what he's teaching them to pray actually fits the way that he prayed. The themes that he's coaching his disciples to include in their prayers are the very themes that populate Jesus' prayers. So he's not just saying pray this way, but this is what I pray for. This is how I pray in terms of themes. And I'm coaching you to pray consistently with the themes for which I pray. And one of those themes would be this. It's, it's a recognition that the Father, okay, fill that name with its fullness, but that the Father is at work. It's like prayers that start with a broad perspective. Okay, recognizing who my Father is and that he is at work. And there's a second thing, and that is that my father actually has a specific will. He's not just working randomly, haphazardly, but he has a specific will. And certain things are his desire or are pleasing in his sight, and some things are not. There's a specific will, so that gets narrow. My father's working, and there is a specific will that is in his heart for me, for this situation for which I'm praying, and even for the whole context in which I'm praying. And a third aspect is, is in terms of, of one of the objectives. Because when Jesus prays, it's evident over and over again that what he wants as the outcome of the prayer is this end that the Father would be glorified. Not that my will would be done, but that the Father would be glorified by his will being done in earth as it is in heaven in a way that would draw attention to his name. Okay, that is evident in Jesus' prayers. And then there is this theme as we've touched on already, that there's a recognition that the Father's people and their spiritual needs and responsibilities need to be lifted up before the Father in prayer. We need the Father's assistance and guidance to fulfill our responsibilities and to supply for needs as we follow him on the path of obedience. And then this final observation that I've already alluded to is I think we can say that Jesus, uh, what he actually taught us, what, what he taught others in prayer, there's, there's a whole other content in our gospels of Jesus teaching on prayer. But when he's doing that, again, he's not, that's not divorced from his own practice. Okay, Jesus teaching on prayer actually grew out of his personal practice. 
so we could make observations like this. Jesus prayed often in private. And so he taught his disciples to pray often in secret. Jesus prayed sincerely and from the heart, and therefore he taught transparency. He reminded his disciples that God sees them in secret and to pray with sincerity and humility and without hypocrisy. Jesus prayed from an obedient life, and therefore he taught his disciples the importance of wedding, obedience, and prayer. And Jesus prayed in faith, confident that God heard him. And therefore, he taught the disciples the necessity of faith in prayer. Okay, we could go on and on with a list like that. But the point is that Jesus' teaching on prayer, okay, when we look at those passages, it would be good for us in our minds to connect it with Jesus practiced this and he taught this. He practiced this on the way to teaching it. He, his teaching actually was bathed in an experience in prayer okay, that he's encouraging on those who are his children. Now, our time here this morning is done. And we've taken you know, roughly about an hour and a half of time between the morning Bible study and our time here to just watch Jesus pray. You know, when you get to eavesdrop on conversations that you think are important, what, um, what sort of goes through your mind in those moments? It's kind of exhilarating, isn't it? Um, even if we shouldn't be eavesdropping, all right? But we, we have been privileged here to eavesdrop on conversations between the son and the father. And, and what's even sweeter is they want us to listen. They actually made sure it was written down. So if we forgot what we heard in eavesdropping, we could read it again. Okay, there's a sense in which the blessing of what we possess and the content of Jesus' prayers is, is so priceless. I mean, we have communication that took place between divine beings. And, and it's in our possession. And, and it's there for our instruction. It's not simply valuable for what it is. It's valuable because it's there to teach us, to guide us in having the very same kind of communication with Jesus' Father, because Jesus told us he is our Father too. And as we pray, perhaps another visual that might be helpful, because if we look at all of the passages that teach about Jesus praying, we have passages two, one in Hebrews 7, one in Romans 8, that assure us that Jesus is not done praying. He is still praying. And when we go before his father, okay, Jesus is right there at his right hand. And, 
and our prayers mingle with the prayers of Christ as they go to his father. There's a beautiful scene in Pilgrim's Progress that, that conveys that it's sanctified imagination, but work with me on this. But it's, no, this is in War for Mansell. Sorry, not Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan's other allegory. And a petition is, is being sent to the king. And his son receives it. And so his son takes the petition and he adjusts it in ways that he knows would be pleasing to his father, then delivers it to the king. And it has a hearing with his father. But when we pray, we, we have the blessing of Christ at the father's right hand, also interceding for us and our prayers mingle with his. And then the scripture opens this window that the, the Holy Spirit is also praying for the saints according to the will of God. If, if the members of the Godhead pray, when we are invited and commanded to pray, we enter into that blessed fellowship of prayer and communion. And, and we get to exercise the very same discipline, the very same communication that they themselves use in their communication with each other. So when you pray, if you take the one o'clock time and you get up, you're not alone. Your father is there, but so is his son, and so is his spirit. And you join that blessed company in prayer. And as you pray together this week for all of these requests and burdens that you share, you know what you're doing is pleasing to God. You're aspiring for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you're using his methodology. And, and we can use his content too. Okay, in a study like this, uh, Lord willing, will help you do that. Okay, let's pray together. Father, even as we approach you in prayer this morning and have so a number of times, we know that this kind of communication is pleasing to you because it, it demands that we exercise faith. It demands that we believe that you are and that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And we pray, Father, that you would, as we pray, yet increase our faith further. Help us by faith to see that you are a hearing God and that you are a God who though you have a distinct and specific will, you love for prayer to be an activity in, in which your children delight and through which you delight to please them. And Father, we pray that you would give us as your children a growing taste of this. We pray that the, the reticence to prayer that so often causes us not to pray 
Lord, that we would by your grace and through the fellowship we have with Christ and with your spirit, we pray that that would embolden us to pray. And may, may we find that our delight in prayer only grows. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.